is the last class in this series that we've been working on. Uh, so we will wrap up this topic tonight. Uh, it, could, it could take 20 minutes, it could take 45, or y'all might have to tell me to quit talking. It just depends on, on how far we get going. Uh, but a lot of that will depend on, on some of the stuff that I'm going to ask the class to do. Uh, Brother Jim walked up to me uh, right before services and wanted me to share with the congregation that today's con- um, today's contribution so far uh, is over $22,000 for this fifth Sunday, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but remember, if you haven't given your contribution yet, you can do that. There's five different ways you can do that. Uh, it was funny, I mentioned to him, I said, well, I said, I still have to put mine in. I was supposed to do my personal finances this afternoon and just never felt like it. Y'all ever have that? Like, you see, I'm going to do this this afternoon. I just never did it. And uh, so I still need to get mine put in there. So, you know, hopefully that number will grow and it'll be a little bit bigger by the time um, we actually announce it next Sunday. So if you haven't put that in and or you do that online in the comment section, put Fifth Sunday Contribution. 
uh, so that they know what where it goes. If you drop it back there or whatever, that that's different. But if you do that, you can leave comments uh, for them. But excellent job, church. Uh, it's fabulous. I know a lot of those things are very much needed. And so I always say it's it's always good to be focused outwardly, but sometimes you got to take care of the base too. Uh, that's a big thing I say at, I say at work. If you're not taking care of your base. Someone else is going to take your base away from you. So we always have to take care of this. And so I think that's very good uh, to see that. And so I want to give just a quick blip about the class. I've had some questions uh, regarding the class. We will start this coming Wednesday. Uh, that class is called Modern Moral Issues. There's two key words in that. The first one is modern. The second one is moral. Uh, we're going to teach that class in a way that, frankly, is not done very often in the church. I plan for it to be very application-based. My goal is for not to tell, teach you the subject. I predict in a class like this, uh, you already know the subject. Uh, what we're going to focus a lot of our efforts on is how to actually have conversations. And that tends to make us very uncomfortable uh, in this world today that we live in today. So uh, be ready for that. It'll be either fun or uncomfortable or both. Uh, that's kind of my goal is to kind of make us all stretch and grow a little bit. I always say growth is un, is uncomfortable. And so as we go through that class, be mindful of that. Uh, but that's Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be doing that. If you've been listening to me for the last quarter in here and go, I need a break from Jonathan. No worries. Ken will be down there in the annex also on Wednesday nights. And then you can flip and you can see me in another quarter because it goes two quarters in a row. Uh, Guy Gardner and Billy will help me with that class whenever I can't be in. I had several people surprised uh, that I was speaking tonight uh, because the bulletin said Billy Martin. Um, if you try to keep up with my schedule, you're going to have problems because it changes every week. Um, it's not supposed to, but it does. And so uh, there was a little bit of a mix up there, but it is me tonight. So my apologies if you were looking for Billy. Uh, you'll have to deal with me. Uh, but I really wanted to make sure that I was here tonight to conclude the study that we've been working on. And so where we're going to start is where we began. And so if I do a good enough job uh, with this class tonight, even if you missed the majority of the classes, you'll have an idea of what we talked about. So let's start with Genesis chapter 1. Now, just like I told you when we started this class, this class is about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <laughs> That's what we're studying. But we started in Genesis. And why did we do that? Well, Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. And so what we talked about there was this idea of image that God said, Let us make man in our image. And then we reviewed what that actually meant. What does that image mean? And then we kept going after that in verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them and God said to them, and this is what's important for us, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so charge number one was to be the lords of the earth. That was charge number one. God created mankind, and the first words out of his mouth was, this is your responsibility. You're going to take care of my creation. 
Did we do a very good job of that? No. We're still not doing a great job of it if we're being honest. But he says that's number one. Okay, well, what's next? 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and over every, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And we wrap up Genesis 1 with, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So God has made His creation. He's completed it. On day six, He makes man. And He gives them two charges. He says, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, and then you're going to lord over the earth. In other words, you're going to be like God on earth. What is being like God? That's the image of God. We were supposed to reflect God. So remember, that was our original purpose in being created. To be like God on earth. Unfortunately, it lasted less than two chapters. Right? Because we get to chapter 3 and something happened. What happened in chapter 3 of Genesis? Sin. And what was the punishment for that sin? What? They were put out of the garden. And God did something else that was very unique that oftentimes we miss in Genesis chapter 3. Not only did He put them out of the garden, He said, let us remove the tree of life, else they eat of it and live forever. Hmm. Our sin forever required our death. Because when mankind became evil, when we broke our image... That image, think of it as a mirror, our ability to reflect God because of sin. We had to die. The problem, though, was, was it wasn't just a physical death we were now facing. We were also facing a spiritual death. So for us to get corrected, for our mirror to get repaired, for our ability to look like Christ, or excuse me, wrong word, for us to image God, someone had to come. And I just slipped up and told you. Who had to come fix our ability to image? Christ. And that's why we started in Genesis. And then we jumped over to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as you recall, we then went through a series of lessons that challenged whether or not we as Christians look like Christ. Where did we start? Where y'all talk to me. Where did we start? At the cross. Thank you. Somebody give me one thing we talked about while on the cross. We did three lessons on the cross. Give me one thing you remember that we challenged the audience with to be like Christ. And there were a lot of lessons there. But just name one. Forgiveness. While he's sitting there hanging beside the thief, he's being mocked. He tells the crowd, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Another guy hanging there beside the cross speaks up and says, we deserve what we're getting. He hasn't done anything wrong. And Jesus forgave him on the spot. All right, what else did we learn on the cross? 
Say that again. Be humble and do what God tells you to do. I say this, I think having power and choosing not to use it is one of the toughest things on earth. But we know at any point Jesus Christ had the authority from God if He had wanted to end it, He could have. Did He want to be there? As a God, yes. As a human being, absolutely no. The garden the night before, He says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from did he know if there was another way? Well, of course he did. He wrote the Word. That's that human side of Christ coming out. And without that human side of Christ, he couldn't be that perfect mediator for us. His blood wouldn't have been pure enough to wash us of our sins. Any other lessons from the cross you remember? Y'all are doing excellent, by the way. On the way to the cross, he was still teaching. Absolutely. Thank you, Tammy. On the way to the cross, he was still teaching. As you recall, he has been flogged, he has been beat, his, the skin of his back has been removed, he's been hit in the face, he has a crown of thorns on his head, and they throw that beam across his shoulders, and he's supposed to walk to the hill. And he falls underneath the load. And when he falls down, they force someone else to carry it. And we see this image where all of a sudden, he just stops the whole parade, turns around, and talks to a group of women and gives them a warning about when the Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He was still teaching, still loving, still caring on the way to the cross. Literally, on the way to the cross. So now when I look at that, if I look at myself as a Christian, am I forgiving or do I hold grudges against people? Can I still remember every single wrong ever done to me and I still hold it against them? Now see, our brains can't forget but there's a difference in not being able to forget and not letting it go. Right? If you leave that handle of the hatchet sticking out, you haven't forgiven. You just, you really just delayed it for when it's convenient to bring it back up. And that's not the way forgiveness works. Have we done that? While we're on our road, and by the way, we are all dying. Newsflash. We are all dying. It's really weird if you think about that. I think everyone in this room, no offense, is probably now closer to the day they're going to die than the day they were born. Just a fact. We're all going to die. While we're on that road, our road to our own cross, if you will, are we stopping to teach and talk to people? Or do we just walk by and only care about our own concerns? Are we humble and concerned about God's will? Even when we're in physical pain. There are people that face things and struggle with things in life that we don't even know about that still are more concerned about taking care of you than they are themselves. And if I asked you to start sharing names with people that you know from this church that have no reason to be worried about other people, but they are, you could start calling names back at me, could you not? Yeah, you could. I'm thinking of one right now. Usually it sits right over there. That's just the way it works. That's being the image of Christ. And so then, after we went through the cross, we went to the peace and what lesson did we go to for the peace of God? 
very comfortable silence. It doesn't bother me. <coughs> Calm in the storm. Thank you. There's a massive storm raging on this boat. They run to Jesus and they look at him and they go, Do you not care that we're dying? You're asleep. The only way you can sleep in a time that your life is being threatened is when you have no fear of death and no concern about what this world can do to you. And we went to Philippians. We got out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke when we went there and we talked about how we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Is there peace on earth right now? No. Is there peace within our country right now? No. Because we're worried about things that, to be candid, do not affect our salvation. We're more worried about what's happening on this earth than we are where we're going. See, Jesus had no doubt in his salvation. He had no doubt where he was going. So in a storm, he slept. I know people, and they shall remain nameless, that when there is a what is it, Tycon 6 or 4, whatever that new thing is they do. on. It's, it's just like weathermen need a reason to make themselves sound important. Right? We are now naming winter storms. Y'all notice that? Y'all notice that new trend? And now we have this, whatever. Does anybody know the word? I'm talking about WTVA, and I really laugh at Matt, but he's, he's, he's a good guy, but he, he's literally like, it's a Tycon 5. We're going to have naders everywhere. Okay. The likelihood of me getting hit by a tornado is still very slim, even if it hits my town. Is that something worth worrying over? No. If God chooses to take me out with a whirly bird, so be it. I'm gone. I'm on to my reward. Don't worry about me anymore. But we worry about those things. We don't have those peace in those storms. We went on from that and we looked at the last few weeks of Jesus' life where he raised Lazarus and where he talked to Zacchaeus. And does anybody remember the point that he made whenever he talked to Zacchaeus? It was an overwhelming fact that Zacchaeus was uh, not a popular person. And what did Jesus do when he talked to him? What was the message he was sending? Salvation was coming to this man's house. Someone that from the Jews' perspective was unsavable. He was a chief tax collector. He was terrible. Why would he go to this man? And then we reviewed a verse where Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. And he was saying specifically... If I get lifted up on the cross, all men will come to me, including people we don't like. But do they still deserve salvation? You better believe it. You better believe they do. And I talked about how during that time that I had personally had someone that I interacted with in church, and I just froze. And that's why, for modern moral issues, we're going to start having conversations. Brent works with me outside of going to church. He can tell you, I have no issues with talking. It's not a problem of mine. But for some reason, sometimes around religious or spiritual things, not in this setting, but on a one-on-one, -on -one, I get uncomfortable. So we're going to work on that on that class. 
we talked about how Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And despite who he was and how different he was and how people around him hated him, he didn't care. And then Billy went over mills with the master. And again, someone came in and he accepted that individual over the popular people in the house. Right? And we've looked at these lessons through Jesus' life that he walked the walk, literally on the way to the cross, while he was on the cross, etc. And those are the challenges we have to be if we want to be like Christ. And then we got into his teachings and some of the other things where his miracles happen. And then again, we have to be like Christ. He didn't want Lazarus to die, but he knew God needed to be glorified, so we let it happen. That's tough. That's really tough. And then last week, Billy went over a couple of lessons such as, sometimes you just got to move on. I see some Christians that get so worked up over the fact they tried to work with this one individual, and they get so tunnel vision that that individual turned away, they can't move on. And I'm not talking about necessarily from a sinner's perspective. It could be any number of things. They could just be a terrible boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. And they get so fixated, they just can't move on. Jesus told His own apostles, when they reject Me, you walk out of that city, you dust the dust off your shoes, and you move on. I think sometimes we as Christians never give ourselves permissions to do that. Yeah, when we talk about this lesson tonight, you're going to think I'm telling you right the opposite. But what I hope you're going to learn is in all of life, there is balance. And so I hope that first week of classes we went through, that you kept those verses from the New Testament, where it talked about Jesus Christ being the image of God, the exact imprint of God. And where it talked about creation is moaning, wishing we would take over our responsibilities. And so we went over all those things, and I know you're like, man, we have heard all this now. Every time you talk, Jonathan, you review the whole class. Yep, I do. I sure do. Because I know the human brain, I know what I'm competing with. I'm competing with a 24-hour news cycle that's telling you how terrible the world is. I'm competing with health care. I'm competing with other things in your life. That the moment you walk out those doors, Satan the deceiver is going to try to win over your mind and convince you everything you heard here just isn't real. So yeah, I review it every week. Because I want it so lodged in the deep part of your brain that when you get those challenges, you know where you're rooted from. And you know the person you're supposed to be like. Because we are supposed to be like Christ. And this last lesson the last one of the study, is actually one of my favorites. And it's also one that I find sometimes, for some reason, I find certain members of the brotherhood discourage us from doing. And I think that's the wrong move, by the way. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. 
It's fitting this is Halloween, by the way, because uh, I have a perfect analogy for this, but we'll get through that in just a second. Luke 11, verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Did anybody have a trick-or-treater last night? If, I don't know if Ben Will did trick-or-treating last night or not. We did in Saltillo. It may be doing something tonight. Anyone have a trick-or-treater that showed up at 8.01? All right, you just, you were reaching for the light switch, and they hit the door, but you're like, sorry, kid, it's 801. Should have followed the rules. And you just didn't actually go out of the door. Everybody heard that happen? When we lived in actual Tupelo, where we lived was a very populated area, and the, tra the, the, the trick-or-treaters changed overnight. At around five, they were about this tall, and they were all wearing princess costumes and pirate costumes. By eight, there were no costumes. There was just 14-year-olds going, I need candy, please. And you could turn off the lot. They didn't care. I don't know if my wife remembers that. I'm sure she does. We used to have to buy bags and bags and bags of candy. Nine o'clock at night. <sighs> They're going to leave in a minute. Fine. Here's the last Snickers bar. Leave me alone. In this scenario, it's a bigger deal. Someone has had a guest arrive at his house, and for some reason he has no food in the house. Maybe it's just the new America we live in. There's no groceries left to buy. Someone showed up. That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. Someone shows up, and you have nothing to feed them. So you run to your neighbor's house, and you go, hey! God, I got a friend at the house. I need you to come in. And they, this is the response. Now, one thing you need to understand is, is they didn't live like we do now. Okay? There were not three and four bedroom houses for, for, for normal folk back then. Back then, there were one room, one room houses. Kitchen and bedroom, all the same. Bathroom outside. So once you got everyone laid in bed, there in what was also the, the duplicate living room, did you move? Anyone that has young kids knows the answer to that, or has had young kids, or grandkids. See, my oldest had gastritis when he was younger. We didn't know that whenever he was super tiny. He did. We learned it after he was about 18 months old. But basically, he would eat, throw up 30 minutes later, and an hour later be hungry again. All night long. So when he was asleep at night, you didn't wake him up. In fact, when he was asleep during the day, you didn't wake him up. And that's the image I want you to have in your mind when you think of this neighbor. Now, be honest with yourself. How many of you have a neighbor in Boonville, Mississippi or Prentice County that if you went to and knocked on the door after midnight and they said, hey, I need some bread, 
you would get up and go to the door. Or flip to that, how many of you would expect your neighbor to come to the door if you were the one going and knocking on the door? Nowadays, you might be greeted with a ring doorbell that says, I'm sorry, we're not able to take the call right now. Please leave a message. Right? What's the application? Verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. In other words, their friendship is, it's past that. There's some things you just, even for friends, you won't do. Apparently this, this neighbor just had some kids that were just hard to get sleep, okay? Just, just was. Yet because of his impudence, now some of you have a translation that says persistence. Learn something in studying this class. That particular word that some translations say as persistence only occurs once in the entire New Testament Bible, and an ancient text always means impudence, not persistence. Now what is impudence? It's not a word we use very much in America anymore, I don't believe. It basically means begging to the point of being disrespectful or embarrassing. Okay, let's use the kid analogy again, right? You ever seen that kid at Walmart walking through the store? Mom, I want that. No. Mom, I want that. No. Then they fall out. Mom, I really want that. And the older generation all looks at the newer generation going, no, if you just smack him, he'd be fine. Really? Really? Y'all did that? It's so funny how every generation thinks they were better parents than the one after them. That's being disrespectful, not the assuming you're better, the reaction, the four-year-old reaction. Begging nonstop. In other words, God, Jesus is saying... You were asking, he was asking to the point, it was embarrassing. Now, rather than looking at this as persistent, I want you to look at it from the standpoint that you've been told three times, no, and you don't stop. Right? I actually teach my kids, if they ever do something nice for someone, you always deny the offer of payment the first time. Always. Because you're a good human being, you're supposed to help people when they in need. When they say, I'm going to pay you, you go, no, thank you, not needed. You refuse it the second time. But if they offer it the third, it's now on you to accept that because you're being disrespectful of them. Sometimes it's just better for someone else to give you something. But that's our rule. You better refuse the first two, you can accept on the third. So where I'm going with this is when you hear me say, after the third no, you keep going. You're being disrespectful at this point. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. In other words, when, you, when he gets to the point he is begging that it is ridiculous, he'll give him what he needs. Hmm. What's the application for Christians? Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Now, we don't deal with scorpions in North Mississippi. Let's just change that to a black widow spider, a brown recluse, or anything else you find detestable besides a serpent. If you then, who are evil? Wait, is he talking about us? Is he talking about like Adam right here in the third, fourth row? If you then, who are evil? Is he talking about him? Is he talking about me? Did Jesus clarify which human being he wasn't talking about here? No, he didn't name the neighbors, by the way. No offense, but that's just a joke. I know you're a good person. Okay, we're, we're good. Okay. All right. He didn't clarify this. He said, if you who are evil. Okay. What's that got to do with anything, Jonathan? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse, and verse 26. And Genesis, do not turn there. Okay, it's just, a, I'm just going to paraphrase. Genesis chapter 1, we were made pure, good, and we're supposed to be representatives of God. We were created in God's image. We sinned in Genesis chapter 3. And the tree of life was then blocked from us because we were evil. See, God is completely pure. There is no evil in Him. There's no malice in Him. We have all of that. So whenever it says this, don't view yourself as the neighbor knocking on the door. View yourself as the opposite neighbor. The one that's actually going to give something. Now listen to the application. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words... If you're good enough to figure out how to give food to your own child and you're evil, what will God do for you if you're His child? I said earlier that sometimes I think the church almost avoids this scripture. I've, been, I've heard things said such as, God isn't a wish giver, God isn't this, God isn't that. I will counter that with multiple arguments. One is this one, and the other one is, you were to lay part of your concerns at Jesus' feet. Oh, i got someone saying all right here. All of your concerns. It is generally accepted that if you have major issues, talking about them tends to help you get through them. Now, I think it's interesting. At the, end of this, at the end of this verse, it says, we'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now, let's think about that from a prayer standpoint. What does the Holy Spirit do for us in prayer? Yes, but define that more, please. Going on our behalf. Yes. What does that mean? Further. There's a deeper something than that. You're totally, you're totally right, by the way. I'm just wanting deeper. It'll give you peace and understanding. Absolutely. There's something else the Holy Spirit says specifically that the Holy Spirit will do for you. you don't know what to ask. He will intercede for us. Yes. You may be asking for the wrong thing. But 
because God has given you the Holy Spirit, He will intercede for you. There's still a phrase that He describes that has not been said yet, though. And it has to do with how the Holy Spirit talks to God differently than we do. Utterings and groanings. Utterings and groanings. In other words, God's language. Let's think about that Holy Spirit for one second. Jesus Christ was on earth and he said, I need to leave. Because He's better than me. Let's get this straight real quick, church. Jesus Christ says, I need to leave earth. He's your Savior. He died for you. And He says, I need to leave because the Helper needs to come for you. That's really heavy stuff, by the way. So whenever you have something on your heart, here's the application according to Jesus Christ. You talk about it to the point it's embarrassing. God can handle it. By the way, He already knew what you thought before you ever said anything in a prayer. Absolutely it does. It helps us rely on it. I have actually heard people giving advice. I'm glad you said that so much. Said that if your spouse is a terrible person, be married to God. Now, why would they say that? It's because of what she just said. Because a married couple that works properly should be able to share deep things with each other. It's why a spouse cannot be required to go in a court of law and say what the spouse said. It's a protected relationship, even in our evil country. But you know what's better than that? I might try to communicate things to Kim that I don't even know how to communicate them. And I'm trying, but bless her heart, she's still a human. I'm still a human. But according to the Word, when we pray, we have someone that intercedes for us, that asks what we need, and uses a language we can't even understand. And I am thankful the Holy Spirit does that for me. Do I understand how it works? Absolutely not. That doesn't matter. Holy Spirit helps you pray. Yes. Helps you pray. Praying in deep moans and groans helps you rely on God. I encourage you, the last step of becoming the image of God, we have talked about obedience. We have talked about peace. We have talked about forgiveness. But we have not yet talked about that last night. What emotion was Jesus feeling in the garden when drops of blood left his forehead? Agony. Agony. That's one. What else? Betrayal. Betrayal. What else? I don't know a human emotion he wasn't feeling that night. Happiness it was almost over with. Fear, that what his physical body was fixing to go to. Anger at Satan for what was fixing to happen. 
frustration that it even came to this. It was never supposed to be like this, by the way. Genesis 1 tells us that. It was never supposed to happen. You kept telling them, you can't even stay awake for me. You know what I'm fixing to do for you, right? If Jesus Christ shared all of his emotions with God in prayer, my question for you is, are you? Because that's being the image of Christ. God can handle your emotions. He can't handle your blasphemy. That's not what I'm saying. Those are two different things. But share them all with God. When you're sad, talk to God. When you're angry, talk to God. When you're happy, talk to God. I think sometimes we ritualize prayer too much. What do I mean by that? I think sometimes we think we have to sit down, it has to be dear God, subject, body, conclusion. I think you can keep an open running tab with God at all times. How many of you have had conversations with God that wasn't actually a prayer? Yeah, now all of a sudden I'm getting hands. You know what I'm talking about. Share with him. Number of times I've driven home on a Sunday morning and the direction I have to drive, the sun burst open at that exact moment. And I'm like, wow, you're showing off. What emotion did I feel? Amazing. Awe. God's awesome. I should feel awe when I see his creation. Right? So what I challenge you is after you've had this group of lessons, the image of God, we went through where we should have, how we should be, have been when we were created. Then Adam and Eve failed just like all of us fail. And then after that, we saw what we could be. And that's true, pure obedience in Christ, what he did. That's what we've got to try to get to. And we're going to conclude tonight with, and your failures and your successes and everything in between those two things, go to God in prayer to the point it is embarrassing. And what does he promise you if you do that? According to this verse, he will send you the Holy Spirit I can't think of a better gift. As always, we have elders here. If you have anything that you need to uh, confess uh, for your sins, need to be baptized, we always can do that. Y'all know that. I want you to know it has been a thrill reviewing this topic with you. I hope you have enjoyed it. I humbly ask for your feedback, good and bad. What did we do well? What can we improve upon? If we ever just, just teach this again, that will help us in version two of this particular class. I hope it's been, it's been edifying for you and you have learned a lot. Let's go to our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the ability to come before your humble throne, to know and to honor you, Heavenly Father, to know that you're our creator. You are an awesome God. We thank you so much for your son. We thank you for his example, both in his life that he led, the teachings that he gave us, Heavenly Father, and the end of obedience that led to our salvation. We pray that we'll all strive to be more like him. We pray that you'll be with this class. Bless each one of them for being here tonight. Be with them as they all go their separate ways. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.